Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Breaking the fourth wall, this is Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm your host, Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. This week, we are taking a trip back to the past, looking at a off-the-beaten-path story in the world of sensational She-Hulk. Of course, everybody knows that the book relaunched in 1989 after being the Savage She-Hulk before that. The beginning of the series, I believe the first eight issues were written by John Byrne. Then he left the book. A number of other people were brought on to the series in that time, but Byrne was brought back for issue 31. But they had two issues that they had to fill before that, and they brought in Louise Simonson, who, of course, was a a veteran, a mainstay of Marvel throughout the 80s, and was uh, just about to make her way over to DC around this time. But she put together a two-issue story of She-Hulk with artwork by Tom Morgan, inks by James Sanders III, and colors by Glynis Oliver. It's a story that plays with the kind of setup that was set up right from the beginning of the Sensational She-Hulk series in that She-Hulk knows she's in a comic book, comments on it. Years later, Deadpool would steal this gimmick. And these days, among uninformed fans, they feel like She-Hulk stole it from him, but no, it was the other way around. So this one really plays with that and actually goes very meta, talking about the fourth dimension, which they also refer to as the fourth wall, which of course, breaking the fourth wall, that's when you basically talk to the audience. And this particular story plays with the idea that the fourth wall gives a special energy to the comic. And if the fourth wall is negative towards it, it'll affect the story. But if the fourth wall is positive, She-Hulk will walk away feeling much better about the whole situation. So, Batula, is this the first time you ever read this story? Yeah, it's Rails and her clothes are off in this one. There are no walls. There's no spoon. <laughs> There's no no edges, no guardrails. It feels like somebody took a cover and a back cover of a comic book and just sort of scooped everything up that they could through some bins at a con. You got a little bit of everyone, a little bit of everything. And they shoved it in between those two covers. Yeah. Yeah. And they did it not only once, but they did it twice. Two issues of just shoved covers. Absolutely. There were moments I had to double check, like, right, this was a team that was led by Wheezy and also a colorist also a woman, but there were a few moments I almost had to remember. Well, this is very, or Deadpool is very She-Hulk coded, including kind of preposterous body positioning when hijinks are ensuing. So after her suit is shredded in court, which again, we know those of us who did actually watch all the TV show, common uh, trope for She-Hulk, it's tough to go to work. It's tough to get dressed. It's tough to stay dressed when her suit gets shredded in court. And then she ends up in almost like a sitting down straight leg Barbie pose, but like legs up in the air at one point. And yeah, there's a few shots from the back raising where she's just wearing like a blazer over what remains of her. What looks like actually a quite nice could pass for like a modern day kind of Fenty lingerie set. It's just, is this happening? And there's the suggestion, there's the loose framework, there's like the the sloppy webbing of a story around it, but it's yeah. really just visually 
fun and also like any kind of fourth wall breaking characters stories has that feeling of let's just grab all of the toys from the toy set that you keep in the bathtub so the ones that are like already like some of the paint's missing things are a little busted let's just like have them all roll around together well the story actually begins with a dr sanderson and three eager students at the university university that was set up in earlier issues of she hulk and uh, in fact the former professor at that particular class was taken out in a very kind of fourth Wally way earlier on in the series. And so Dr. Sanderson is the new replacement and uh, there's something kind of off about him, but he wants to explore the fourth dimension and its powers. So he has set up a way to bring in different characters from different timelines and plop them into a story with She-Hulk to see how the interaction with these characters might boost the energy of the fourth wall. And the students are behind this because they're She-Hulk fans and they truly think, well, this will help She-Hulk. If, if she can harness fourth world energy, why not? Of course, this is all unbeknownst to She-Hulk. They're watching her through a uh, special screening device and uh, she's in court representing some doctors, some professors themselves who want the government to come clean about Roswell. And say, yes, aliens do exist, which is a funny idea in itself because it's the Marvel Universe. There's been countless proof in the Marvel Universe that aliens exist. They've shown up on the planet. They've been on the news. They've been parts of super teams. But specifically, these professors want the government to say, yes, Roswell did give us proof that there are aliens out there. And just as she's about to start making her statements on that, Dr. Sanderson and his students decide to let's shake things up and see how it affects the fourth wall. And zap, suddenly Venom is there. And Venom attacks She-Hulk and rips her clothes off. And in that moment, to me, the way it was set up, it felt very that kind of cheeky, over-the-top, satirical way, like a, a Benny Hill sketch where it's like the cheesy, sexy raunch sort of thing. And when they cut back to Dr. Sanderson, he's like, oh my God, we've had a spike in fourth wall energy. I'm not sure if it's the fantastical villain that just showed up or the shredding of her overgarments. And one of the students went, it has to be both. (laughs) Both are happening at the same time. I mean, both. Can be true. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so just as soon as Venom shows up there, they zap him out of there. She doesn't know what's going on. The court is called into recess because they can't have Venom, who is an alien, just popping up in the middle of a court case about trying to prove if aliens exist. And so during this recess, they try again, and they decide to bring not one Hulk, but two Hulks into the situation who begin fighting. She all has to deal with that, but as soon as they're there, they're pulled away. Then this continues to happen with Wolverine, Apocalypse, and Ship, which is kind of like a little throwback to Louise's time on X Factor. And although it says it's supposed to be something from the past, Apocalypse makes a weird comment about all of this shouldn't happen before. So some fans thought that, oh, this was like the future, and Apocalypse gets shipped back. And it's like, so they had to clarify that, no... No, this is this is before when Apocalypse first had ship. 
Iron Man, Thor, Silver Surfer, the Human Torch, the Hobgoblin, Sabretooth, Calipan, before his transformation, which the students have a comment on that, which again, a little tongue-in-cheek because Louise Simonson wrote the story that had Caliban get transformed to be one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Jack-o'-lantern, Juggernaut, the Rhino, Master Mold. A lot of characters are shoved in here. And each time they kind of show up. And just as soon as a character is about to possibly figure out what the hell's going on, that is when either Dr. Sanderson or the students zap that character away. Also, Mr. Fantastic shows up. And he kind of shows up and immediately knows, oh, I know what's going on. And the doctor is yelling outright, who's in the room with Mr. Fantastic, yelling outright to his students, looking like a crazy person to Mr. Fantastic and She-Hulk going, now get him out of here now, because they know that the jig is up if Mr. Fantastic says his next words. And this kind of crazy state of like, in character, character starts to figure it out, out character, it really offsets the reader, but also it offsets She-Hulk. Because most of the story, she's just like, what the hell is going on? And reading a lot of reviews online for this story, there's a lot of people that are not a fan of this story, mainly because most of the, the two issues is just She-Hulk going, what the hell is going on? Like a Seinfeld episode. I found not just the story a bit, all over the place because of everything that's going on and because we're getting literally every character they could get their hand on. The panels get very busy, much like She-Hulk busting out of the seams. And it is a bit of an onslaught for the eyes. Not looking at you, Charles. There's like a brief moment of relief sort of at the beginning of the second issue because it's like you get a lot of flight-based action. You get some open sky but then it just gets very busy, busy, busy again. It's a visual treat. The color work by Glenn Oliver in this one, it's great because it's doing a lot of heavy lifting for instantly taking us from character to character. Plus, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Jen looks great in yellow. So once they strip her out of that suit, but then get her in what is actually a, a very like look from now like an oversized blazer mm. just with like a peak of lingerie underneath and yeah that's, yeah oversized that's what... blazer being used as like a dress yeah 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 and just just the hint of like her like undercakes from some of the the rearview shots it's reminiscent a bit of the yellow look from homecoming when the camera person is behind beyonce so you see a little bit of respectfully like just just, just the right amount just like the the red velvet of the, the undercake, but not all of it. It's great. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> and we knew I would do this. So yeah. who's, who's surprised? Not me. And Jen's hair, it's just looking fantastic. I would pay quite a bit of money for that wig slash extension weave situation. She's getting roughed up, bounced around, tossed to the sky, dropped, picked up, webbed up, bounced around again. But the hair, fantastic. Well, that's the thing. Tom Morgan can draw not only a mean She-Hulk, but it's very much like a just put a Marvel character in front of Tom Morgan and Tom Morgan can draw it. And that's, that's what these two issues really show off. Everybody looks exactly as they should. Freaking Apocalypse looks majestic in this. He's almost like just an evil fallen angel when he first appears, you know? Sabretooth looks so luxurious. It's yeah. his whole fit. It's 
from the claws to his ruff, it's just very curly and lush. It, everybody's like, Rhino looks good. No, you know, Rhino's got that that jaw situation. There's not much you can do about that mug, but even he's just kind of majestic. Juggernaut always looking good and just ready to keep going. <laughs> and, and the the first family for their their brief appearance. There's a lot going on visually, and I would say for this one, I had to read it a couple of times because there's so much going on. And at some point, I was like, just. Stop trying to make sense of it and enjoy like this is kind of your perfect kind of filler bottle fun. Yeah, because there are some strange moments that come out of nowhere. Like when Wolverine appears, Wolverine knows who She-Hulk is. And that makes sense because She-Hulk has been a public figure for a while and they probably have crossed paths. But when he calls her Jen, which again, she doesn't have a secret identity. She goes, how do you know who I am? And it's like, um, I think... That's been a given before. That's just, just little weird lines like that that just seem like a, well, wait a second, what? And like that kind of adds to the craziness. It's a very off the wall story. It's almost like Louisa sat down and like worked with some improvisers <laughs> to do it because it has moments that you see in a weird like improv show that it's like, wait a second, how do you know who I am? And the other improvisers are going, I got to get rid of this soon, right away. This is not where I want to go with the scene. So he just like, because I know, let's move on sort of thing. And that's what the, there's a few of these moments like that that are just kind of off. But I think one of the most off things about it is the villain himself, Dr. Sanderson, because he, well, more, more likely a, a, an antagonist because even like his master plan isn't really in any mind to hurt anyone. He's just sad that he's a forgotten villain. And this is where it gets weird, like the, the character choice. Because this character is actually a villain named Isbisa, also known as Simon Mickey, who is a mad scientist who is interested in atomics. And he first appeared in All Winners Squad number 19 in 1946. He's a creation by Bill Finger and Sad Shores. And then he would appear like 40 years later in the Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries. So it's an odd choice. And the reason why he's found out is because Wheezy, of course, is who is She-Hulk's legal secretary. She used to be a hero back during World War II, known as the Blonde Phantom. And so Isbiza's whole thing is that he saw that Wheezy now had popularity in a comic book once again and decided... Maybe they'll remember me if I harness the fourth wall energy. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's a huge leap to get to. It's like, and they explain this all in the last two pages. So it's like crazy, this crazy, this crazy, this crazy. Now here's two pages of just nonstop exposition because we have to wrap this up. At that point, you're exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and if I could throw even one more fictional character into this Dagwood sandwich of a two issue run. I would bring in Goldblum to just be like, <laughs> just because you could, you didn't yes. stop to think if you should. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Both to the team that put this together, but also to the villain and slash antagonist. There's those moments when we stop and remember, right, like drugs and alcohol. Like people just did that at work, like yeah. back in the yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. It is some crazy <laughs> shit. Because also we, we're talking about Louise Simonson here, which of course we talked about on the show before someone who was 
an editor that really shepherded Claremont's work and protected him during the rise of the X-Men stories, then would jump in and help out with those stories and become a prominent writer in the X-Universe as well, writing issues of X-Factor and New Mutants for a good number of years, and then going over to DC and having a very prominent run on Man of Steel and being involved in the death of Superman and some big prominent stories. So you look at this story and go, either she was on a deadline or she was just like, let's do some crazy shit. Honestly, this is like some real queen shit right here. Totally. Okay. okay. Like it's kind of a flex. It's She-Hulk as kind of story lead. And okay. because of her facility with sort of continuity, voice and energy, like it could have been messier, but her deft handling of knowing so many of these characters due to her expansive role within the organization, some characters, you only get a moment. Like some people like Apocalypse, they're not sharing screen space. Like he gets like a full like, and to me, Hamilton moment, but like, it's a lot of group work, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of messy group activity in the panels, yeah. Yeah. but even though we only see some characters for a moment, not even everybody gets to say much. Everyone is entirely like, yes, I know what this person is going to do in their time here. This makes sense. Mm. While the entire framework doesn't make sense. Yeah. Also the fact that She-Hulk decides, I'm going to bring these three civilian doctors with me on my little excursion to find out what the hell is going on. And they're kind of put in danger left and right as well. And it just seems weird. Like the, I think the biggest one is that because of course in the comic at the time, she had a flying car, which uh, I'm not exactly sure if it was owned by her or if it was owned by Wheezy's daughter, who's, you know, of course I mentioned Wheezy was the blonde phantom. People know here her daughter as the phantom blonde because it's never really described like what her life is like. You just know that she's Wheezy's daughter. So she brings this flying car into the mix so they can get away at one point. She-Hulk and the professors fly it up to ship and they land it on top of ship to confront Apocalypse. And they get out of the car and they walk over. And as we mentioned, people appear and then they disappear. So this big ass ship has just appeared with this big ass guy, Apocalypse, on top of it. And they didn't think, hey, this could disappear at any moment. <laughs> they got off it. They walk a good, I'd say, 20 feet away from the car. They have their little conversation with Apocalypse. And then, bam, they're gone. So now they're 20 feet away from the car, which they and the car are all in free fall. There are moments like this where I'm like, why are those three people there <laughs> the entire time? I mean, first of all, the car's already been through some rough stuff. Of all people that you don't want near a fresh paint job, Wolverine's already oh, given yeah. the car yeah. like a, bit of a bit of a going over. Really clawed yeah. it up all the way through, yeah. Yeah, think about like that first, you know, scratch or dent on a car door and just multiply that feeling by a thousand. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a car and see Wolverine coming at you, claws out. They were definitely going for most characters kind of iconic fits. But again, the 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 color work in here and balancing the chaotic energy just the balance of a lot of these characters always in like their signature fits in her it's it's a lot it's a lot it's chaotic it's fun it somehow weirdly works it kind of reminds me of the first time i had an affogato 
And I'm like, but this is ice cream, but this is hot stuff. There's a lot going on, but somehow it works. That's kind of what this I felt like at the end. Okay. I know. I usually do like <laughs> weird sex stuff or talk about clothes and somehow it ended up being I'm hungry now. Yeah. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the end of this story kind of wraps things up in a way that is just sort of like a huh, okay. Almost like Louise Simonson thought, oh, people are just going to skip these two issues until Byrne comes back. And so we're just giving you a story that you completely can throw away. Because at the end of this, the three professors that She-Hulk was representing have decided they're going to abandon their case with the U.S. government and start finding out more about fourth wall energy, the fourth dimension, and have hired the students to be their assistants. Isbisa gets away using a teleportation device, which somebody brings up, why didn't he use that all along? And somebody went, I guess he could only use it once. It's like, okay. But when the doctors reveal that they're going to abandon the case, She-Hulk turns to the audience and went, Byrne never would have put me through this. So I guess that's the setup for Byrne to come back. It's just, there's that burn would ever put me through this. Next issue, burn is back. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Sometimes it's, comics are just fun and they don't have to make Yeah, that no, much no, no, sense. no, no. It's like, again, there's yeah. parts for their fun, but then there's parts of it, like, I'm looking at it from like a writing perspective. I'm like, okay, you could have done that a little bit better. You could have done that a little bit better, you know? And like, again, I'm thinking it's Louis Simonson, you know? If somebody told me, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of a bad writer, but like, just a, like one of the, one, like if it was, the, if it was like a third string writer for, for Marvel or DC and they put this out, I'd be like, okay, that's what I expected. But with Louise Simonson, you think, oh, you're going to get some guts, you know, some, something to hang on to. And with this, it was just sort of like, eh, not her best work. Looks this great. Book looks, great. looks great. But I feel like if you're looking for a great Louise Simonson story, I would not recommend this one. This one feels like, and I think you were right earlier, this feels like improv without a safe word. Yeah. This feels like everybody in the ball pit at Marvel was like throwing stuff out. Like, I dare you to put this into, and it was all yes and no, you know, pomplamoose or whatever wheezy safe word was. I don't know why I thought. She'd go for grapefruit in French, but whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, overall, it is it is an experience. I'll say that. Um, I I forgot to mention that Spidey also shows up in this book, and of course, you know, if you're gonna have that many different Marvel characters show up, you're gonna have Spider Man show up. Uh, he gets to have one of the covers. He's on the first cover with She Hulk. He gets to web all over her. Yeah, he gets to web all over her. There it is. There you go, Petula. That's your at least one per show. (laughs) There's an amazing bunch of Louise Simonson stories out there. There's an amazing bunch of She-Hulk stories out there. This is just a, hey, if you're bored kind of story. I wouldn't go out of my way to read this, but it's like, it's not, I get the same time. It's not like, oh God, I'm offended. It's just like, yeah, okay. And that's that. Uh, Or if you went slightly over on the gummies. 
I need to wait a while for these. Yeah, now. yeah. If I, yes, yeah, yeah. sure. If I was to take something that would give an extra effect to the comic, that might that might change my opinion. But you know what? You might have surgery one day, have some fun painkillers. Maybe pull this one out again, give it another shot. There you go. There yeah. you go. That's it right there. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if surgery is in my future, I'll give this another <laughs> shot. <laughs> Oh, well, we come to an end of a very odd episode of Back You Should Blow Blath. Petula, where can people find you? At inatif.com, on social things at obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. And of course, you find everything I do over at geekhardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekhard. Follow me on Instagram at andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post a new episode every week. But to make sure you don't miss an episode, is why don't you just go to your favorite podcasting platform and just subscribe? And, you know, after that, maybe tell your friends so they can tell their friends and they can tell their friends and so on and so on. And we can slowly take over the world. Or just punch the fourth wall. There you go. Punching the fourth wall. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petunia. Have yourself a good...